Well, good morning, Awakened family. It is so good to be back on this first full week of summer. You know, you can always tell when summer is here because kids are super hyper, parents are super tired, and everybody looks just a little bit sunburned today, right? You guys notice that? It's okay. Y'all still look good. It's going to turn into a tan, I think. Hopefully, eventually. Don't, don't worry. All jokes aside, I hope that summer has gotten off to a really great start for each of you. But even if it hasn't, I believe all of that can turn around today. I actually believe that God has the power to do that, but I believe that there are some truths in his words, some things that he wants to reveal to us today that have the power not just to uh, change our summer, but to transform our families and even to transform our lives. So just trust me when I say you're going to want to stay engaged with this morning's message. But before we get to that life-changing topic we're going to talk about, let me just first introduce myself to those of you who I haven't met yet. My name is Ryan. I have the blessing of serving this church family as the lead pastor. And if this is your first time, you're joining us right in the middle of this Picture Perfect Family series. You could probably tell by that cute little video that uh, this is an ironic title for our series because there is no such thing as a Picture Perfect Family, right? But there can be more God-honoring, purpose-driven, and spiritually healthy families. And so that is what we have been after in this series. If you've been around the last few weeks, you know that in order to get to that place, we've really had to dig through some of the cultural expectations that are put on families, on biological and spiritual families. There are expectations of us. But we've dug through those to hopefully dive deeper into God's word, understanding the biblical foundation on which we are to build our families. And I've been so encouraged, honestly, in talking to so many of you because I see that the desire is there, right? God has revealed to you the ways in which you have maybe been giving in to more of the cultural expectations. Maybe how your family is operating more like a, like a factory than a farm, that illustration we've been talking about the last few weeks. And I could tell the desire is there. You want to change, right? You want to set the tone for your family. You want to create that healthy environment in which your kids can grow. But there's just one problem. You don't have the time to make that happen, right? Your, your lives, your calendars, they are just so full. Now, you can feel free to, like, raise your hand and, and, and object to that, but I'm pretty sure that each one of us can relate, because ultimately, when it comes down to it, we are sort of hardwired as humans, but especially as American humans, to be overcommitted and overextended. The result means that we have little to no time for the intentional lives that are required to live this kind of life that God calls us to live, to become the type of families he has called us to be. Now, there is no guilt or no shame in that. We are all in this together. Maybe that's not such a good thing, but hopefully you at least feel some community in that. We're all in this together because this is actually a bit of an epidemic. I can actually prove that to you. You guys know I've been sharing a study each week that we've been doing this. And as I was looking for some family life studies to help understand why this is, I found these two studies. And at first, when I looked at these studies, I thought, man, these, these contradict each other. These both can't be true. But then I looked at my own life and my family's life, and I said, you know what? These studies don't contradict each other. It's we who contradict ourselves. Let me explain to you what I mean. The first study I found said that nine out of 10 American parents believe a strong family bond is fostered through shared experiences and family time. That's awesome, right? 
Super encouraging. The problem is the average time American families spend together on a daily basis is just 37 minutes. Some of you are like counting in your head right now, like, I think I spend more than that. Trust me, you probably don't. We are a walking contradiction. And the results speak for themselves, right? As we've been talking about these last few weeks, American families, we are falling apart at a rapid and record rate. We're not living part of God's design. Our families are the ones that are ultimately paying the price. But Awakened Church, it does not have to be this way. We don't have to live our lives buried under busyness. And our families don't have to operate with this divide and conquer mentality. Because God has given us a better way. There is a better way out there. And if we follow God's design where we thrive on rhythm and on rest, we can be families who abide in Christ. And we can thrive. So this morning, we're going to get into what that looks like. We're going to talk about some of those practices What I want you to do right now is just to simply acknowledge where there is need in your own life. No matter who you are, no matter if you have a biological family, a spiritual one, if you are a grandparent, if you are a student, each one of us have allowed the good things in life to busy up our schedules and to push out the room for intentionality to grow spiritually. But here's the thing, if you want to be those God-honoring and purpose-driven and spiritually healthy families we were designed to be, then we need to get back to our biblical foundation of rhythm and rest. So can I just encourage you this morning to loosen your grip on your agenda, right? to lay down your calendar, if you will, and simply to receive. Believe that God wants to transform your heart this morning, and he might just do that through your schedule. I believe that if you let him, the Lord will take on your burdens. He'll relieve you of your busyness and the anxiety that comes with it. And instead, he'll exchange it for his true and his perfect rest. How many of you want to sign up for something like that, right? Let's pray before we move on. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in your presence we can find that true and that perfect rest. As we take this moment now, Lord, to learn from your word, I pray that you would soften our hearts towards this message that you have prepared for us. Would you speak to us now through your word? And would you work within us to accomplish your will? Lord, we love you. Would you have your way in this place today? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can get those out. Open them up to Genesis chapter 2. Whenever we are talking about God's design, his original intent for us, we always got to go back to the beginning, back to the garden, back to the book of Genesis. So we will be in chapter two this morning, where we are going to be looking at God's purpose for rhythm and rest. Those of you note takers, the notes are super simple this morning. We have the purpose of rhythm and rest, the power of rhythm and rest, and the practice of it. So when we talk about the purpose of rhythm and rest, we can find the beginning of that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. God has just finished creating the world and everything in it, and we read this beginning in verse 2. It says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what God does is he sets the standard, right? He builds a rhythm into the very fabric of creation. And it's a rhythm that is built upon rest. 
You guys have heard this before, right? Six days of work, one day of rest. This is not new information. What I want to point out to you is a couple things that may not have originally stood out to you about this rhythm that God put into place. The first thing, and perhaps the most important thing for us to notice, is that while God rested on his seventh day, we rested on our first. See, in our society, we believe that we have to earn the right to rest. Right? We have to work really hard in order that we might rest at the end of that long, hard week. But what we fail to realize when we look back to Genesis chapter 2 is that God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day, which means that their first day was a day of rest. So God-given rest isn't something that we earn. It is a free gift that we are given out of which we can work. So this simple fact, family, should shift our perspective, should have a profound impact on the way we view our work and the way we view our rest. The second thing I want to point you to is the number seven. Now, you can do a deep, deep dive on the significance of the number seven in Scripture. It's really fascinating, and it'll take you days, weeks, months, or, or maybe even years. But what I want to simply point you to this morning is the root of the Hebrew word for the number seven. It speaks to this idea of completeness, this idea of fullness. And it's interesting because if you think about it, Every other measurement of time, so you have like the day or the month or the year, they're all determined astronomically, right? The day is, I think, one rotation of the earth on its axis. The month is roughly a, a lunar cycle, and the year is, is one uh, orbit around the sun. I'm not a scientist. You can double check me on that. I might be wrong. But what I do know is that scientists can't really explain, historians can't even really explain where the week came from. Yet, the whole world operates on it. We all sort of instinctually know this is how we were best suited to live. Now, that's not to say that other options haven't been tried. As I was researching this week, I found out that in France, back in 1793, they thought it would be a good idea to institute a 10-day work week. Anybody on board with a 10-day work week? Yeah, nobody, right? So they thought it was a good idea that they would have nine days of work followed by one day off. And in their minds, they're thinking, this is going to increase productivity, right? Wrong. It actually decreased productivity. The only thing it increased was suicide rates. We are designed to work out of rest and out of rhythm. And if either one of those things fall off, we can find ourselves in a world of hurt. In fact, all the French needed to do was to open up their Bibles, and they could have gone back to the book of Exodus, and they could have seen that their plan was doomed from the start. If you look back to Exodus, you find the Israelites, they're enslaved in Egypt, and you will see no mention of any days, of any weeks, of any months. It is one endless cycle of work days. This picture that's painted for us of Egypt is this, this society without rest and without rhythm, this society that's only focused on production. Maybe that sounds familiar to some of us here today. But if you know the story of Exodus, you know that it doesn't stay this way. That God comes to rescue his people, and he restores that rhythm and rest. Which leads us to Exodus chapter 20, where for the first time, God issues rhythm and rest as a command. Look with me, if you would, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. God issues the Ten Commandments to Moses, then as the fourth commandment, he says this. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what God does, he commands his people to observe this six and one rhythm in order that they might both rest and remember. Now I want to point out something that I found interesting here because God actually, he, he sort of adds to the definition of rest here. See, there's a different word that he uses in Exodus 20 verse 11 than he does in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, he uses the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to, to cease or to, to stop. But in the Ten Commandments, he sort of adds to that by using this word nuach, which actually means to settle in or to take up residence. So what God does by issuing the command this way is he points us to the purpose of Sabbath rest, saying that we must Shabbat in order to nuach. We must stop working so that we can settle into the presence of God. And that leads me to our second point this morning gotten a glimpse of the, the purpose in godly rhythm and rest. Now let's talk about the power that exists within them. And again, we have to sort of throw our own misconceptions out the window because as we're going to see, the, the power of rhythms and rest isn't so much in what we do or what we don't do, but rather in who we are with. Again, we go back to creation, right? Back to the garden, back to God's original design, which was for us to operate in rhythms and rest in the literal presence of God. Now we all know what happens, right? We talked about Genesis 2. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, you know, Adam and Eve make a not so great decision that cuts us off from that literal presence of God. That intimacy was disrupted. And so our sin became a, a barrier between us and God that kept us from finding that true rest we were designed for, which is why God immediately ushers in this plan to remove that barrier. It starts with the rescue of his people, Right, with the restoration of rhythms and rests, and eventually leading up to the redemption of his people through the sacrifice of his son. And we get this picture thousands of years later as Jesus finishes his work on the cross that the temple veil is split in two from top to bottom, removing that barrier between us and God, allowing us then to boldly approach his throne so that we might receive that rest. So by looking back to the garden, what we get a glimpse of is what it was meant to look like to be in that perfect rest. But by looking to Jesus and by trusting in Jesus, we can actually come to experience that for ourselves. It is because of Jesus and in Jesus that we can find that true rest. You all with me? See, I think we make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. <laughs> I see people spending thousands on vacations, massages, all these luxuries, just hoping they might find a little bit of relaxation. And Jesus is over here offering up true and perfect peace as a free gift. Not only that, he tells us exactly where to find it. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. I don't know about you, that seems pretty straightforward to me. He doesn't say, hey, you know, go to Cabo and I will give you rest. Right? Go, to, go to Massage Envy, go down to Town Lake and I will give you rest. No, he says, come to me. He says, rest isn't found in a place, it's found in a person. 
So come to me. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to visit all of those places I just mentioned. I think we all would. But we're kidding ourselves if we think they're going to offer us anything more than simple relaxation. And relaxation, family, listen, is not the same thing as restoration. The world may want you to think that those two things are the same. But this is why people always say that they need a vacation from their vacation. Right? Because there was no restoration that happened there. They may have relaxed a little bit. They don't have kids. <laughs> but no restoration happened there. See, what Jesus has to offer you is far different, far better, far more than what the world has to offer. So don't settle for relaxation. Pursue restoration. Come to Jesus and abide in him. Jesus' own words, John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Again, Jesus doesn't mix words here. And yet most of us, when we are in need of rest, we pursue isolation over intimacy. Right? We think we need to be by ourselves. This is how I operate. I'm, I'm introverted, so I get energy from being by myself. But we get this idea that we must be by ourselves, alone, and isolated. When true rest is actually found in intimacy, not in isolation. Isolation is a tactic of the enemy. I'm going to be clear when I say that. Isolation is a tactic of the enemy. It's something he does to get us on our own where we are more vulnerable to attack. That's why it's crucial for us to understand that much of what surrounds us is actually meant to isolate us. Even social media, right? This thing that is supposed to like get us connected to this vibrant community is really just an isolation trap that pulls us further and further away from the community it's saying that it's trying to connect us to. So if we want to find the rhythm and the rest we were meant to operate in, we have to fight this urge towards isolation. And instead, we must be intimately connected to Christ, like a branch to a vine. The simplest way we can do this is by spending time in God's word, by spending time in prayer, by spending time around a Christian community where we can be constantly connected to Jesus, constantly receiving his grace, his guidance, his mercy, his presence. Family, true rest is found in coming to Christ and abiding in him. So listen, we're going we're to make a shift in just a minute here towards some of the, the practical points of this, how we can make this happen in our own lives. But before we do that, I want to practice a little bit of what's been preached so far. So I know this is probably a little bit unconventional, but if you would, would you just close your eyes right where you're at? And go ahead and close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. Don't worry. All I'm going to ask you to do is take a few big, deep breaths in. If you're comfortable, maybe even open up your hands on your lap. Put yourself in a posture of receiving. And as you, as you breathe in, would you breathe in that perfect rest? Would you breathe in God's grace and his mercy? As you breathe out, would you just let go of those, those fears and anxieties, those insecurities? Just a couple more deep breaths in. When you're ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Hey, if you need to keep them closed, there is no judgment. <laughs> there is rest to be found here. But now that we've laid the biblical foundation, I want to actually switch a little bit 
now that we've centered our hearts on God, let's talk about how we can make this happen in our own lives. We talked about the purpose of rhythm and rest. We talked about the power to be found in it. Let's talk about the practice now of rhythm and rest. Now, if you're like me, you've probably been wondering this question from the very beginning. Like, Pastor Ryan, I didn't need that whole background. Just tell me how to find that rhythm and rest. I just want the answers, right? Well, in a culture that's obsessed with life hacks and with, with maximum efficiency and multitasking, I'm actually going to ask you to do something pretty countercultural. I'm actually just going to ask you to go back to God's design for rhythm and rest. I know it's like this is you know, super groundbreaking. It's going to be the next big TED Talk, but just go back to what the Bible says, right? It's time we come to terms with the fact that the solution to our over-busy lives is not more time. And we all know it's certainly not more technology. The solution to over-busy lives is simply to slow them down and to center them around what really matters. Let me say that again. The solution to your over-busy life is to simply slow it down and to center it around what really matters, to abide in the rhythms and the rest we were designed for. So essentially what I'm encouraging you to do is to pursue a Sabbath rhythm. Pursue a Sabbath rhythm so that you might receive that Sabbath rest. Now, before you go down a theological trail, let me just say, I know we live in a different age. I know that we are no longer held to or judged by the same laws that God's people were in the Old Testament. But that doesn't mean that the power or the purpose behind the Sabbath is now null and void. What it means is that the practice of it now points us to the source of our true rest, which is in Christ. So you might be wondering, if you've never practiced this before, what does it look like to keep the Sabbath? Well, that could be a, a sermon series in and of itself, but here's the bottom line. Sabbath is about delighting in God and his creation. It's an intentional time where you pull away from your ordinary pursuits, your ordinary obligations, in order that you might settle in to God's presence. And I understand this is going to vary from person to person. could vary based off of your stage of life. But what I want to do is just give you a few ways, a few thoughts that you can start putting into practice, that you can start chatting with your spouse, with your roommate, with your coworkers about to put into practice. My hope is that these applications, that they will begin to order some of your schedule, more importantly, order some of your heart, and that they'll give you just a glimpse into what the gift of rhythm and rest can do for you and for your family. So let me encourage you with a few practical thoughts. The first one is to build rhythm into your day. Build rhythm into your day. The great Corey Ten Boom once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth in that statement, right? Because ultimately, both things lead to something we've already been talking about, to isolation. Both busyness and sin lead you to isolation. They remove you from the presence of God. They remove you from the presence of other people. So why it's important to build rhythm into our day so that we can be intentional to pursue intimacy with God so that we can avoid falling into that dangerous trap of isolation. For those of you who were here last week, you got to hear Pastor John talk about creating that healthy environment for our families to grow. And he talked about the Jewish, Jewish practice of reciting the Shema. It's the prayer that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And the reality is that we as Christians, we don't have a, a collective practice like that. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't still strive individually to be connected to God's word, to structure our, our days around that intentional time of pursuit. And I realize that's going to look different for each of us. Again, I get some of that, but to use the old adage, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. 
Right, so let me just give you a couple of examples and ways that this has worked either in my life or in the lives of those around me. Just two quick examples for how you can build rhythm into your day. The first time is to set a time on your phone, set an alarm where you can pause and pray. Literally, just pick any time. If there's a, a meaningful time, if there's a more practical time, put it into your phone. You can even do it right now. Set a time, and when that alarm goes off, you stop and you seek the presence of God. You Shabbat and you Nuach, right? It could be a prayer about something, or it could just be settling into the presence of God. Maybe that's not possible for you, though. Maybe you have too crazy of a schedule. It's summertime, you've got kids home. That's fine. Do what one of my mentors does. He has a busy life. It's an unpredictable life, and so he just chooses not to allow himself to, to have breakfast before he spends time with God. He says, no Bible, no breakfast. Right? It's a way to hold himself accountable. It's a way to make sure that he's pursuing the presence of God as the very first thing in his day. And the thing I love about this is that there's really no excuse because you can always wake up a little bit earlier. Listen, I don't know what this looks like for you, but I know it's crucial for us to put first things first, to build our day around regular and intentional pursuit of God, slowing down long enough to center your life around the things that truly matter. It brings to mind a, a great quote from the theologian N.T. Wright. He said, it is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. I wonder what it would look like for you to slow down today. I wonder what it would look like for you to build in some of this rhythm of pursuit into your day. So that's the first application. Build rhythm into your day. The second is to build rest into your week. Build rest into your week. Now, I have to be honest with you. There are many things that I preach about from this pulpit that I myself struggle with, but this one absolutely takes the cake. I'm just being honest with you guys. This isn't like a humble brag or anything like that. I just don't like to rest. You can ask my wife. It doesn't matter if I've had an exhausting week, if I'm running on fumes, if she even just suggests that I take a nap or that I go to bed on time, I become like this defiant toddler and I fight it tooth and nail, right? <laughs> I don't like to rest. I love to be productive. I like to wake up early. I like to maximize every moment. I love to go to bed exhausted. But as I reflected on that this week, I found myself feeling deeply convicted. Not at my, my desire to do that so much, but at what happens when I don't. I don't know if you can relate to this, but when I am not productive, when I do not complete that checklist, my happiness, my self-worth, takes a direct hit. And what that revealed to me was that I was putting myself into a position, relying on myself to be the source of the things that only God can and will provide. See, but family, what can happen if we build a rhythm of rest into our week is that God will use it not just to refresh us physically, but to remind us spiritually that He is the one in control that he is the finisher of our work. It's not us. That he is the giver and sustainer of life, the provider of all joy, not us. And as I reflected on that this week, I was reading back through a book called The Deeply Formed Life. I highly recommend it. Pastor Rich Velotis just smacked me upside the head with this on Sabbath. He said, Sabbath is not rest from making things. It's rest from the need to make something of ourselves. So for those of you who are wired like me, let me just encourage you. Sabbath is not this time to be bored or lazy. 
It's a time to delight in what God has done. It's a time to delight in what God is doing through Jesus. And it's a time to place your trust in him to be the one that brings you joy. So build rhythm into your day. Build rest into your week. And then finally, build a boundary around your family. Build a boundary around your family. Now, this one might be the most countercultural, the most controversial of these three suggestions that I'm giving you this morning. Because our society tells us the way to address the busyness of life is to divide and conquer. Right? It's to buy a minivan so that you have a family shuttle that can take you as you go and pursue all the things the world tells you that you should care about. But I hope you've been able to see by now this is not how we were designed to live. That the call when it comes to our families isn't to divide and conquer, it's to abide and to defend. In other words, to make abiding with Christ in family our priority. See, because what will happen to us if we're not intentional to put boundaries around our families is that we will quickly realize that we are drowning in our own busyness. I was talking to a friend this past week and she told me a story that I thought illustrated this beautifully. She's a member of our church family and she's got four kiddos and, and she took them to a pool party recently and the, the kids were just playing in the shallow end of the pool. And so naturally she turns to a mom right next to her and starts having this conversation. Well, partway through that conversation, this mom just ditches the conversation and dives headfirst into the pool to rescue my friend's son who is drowning in the deep end. Now the kid was okay, and that's not the dramatic part of the story. They, 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 they pulled the, the, the five-year-old little boy out of the water, and once they made sure he was all right, a friend of mine asked, like, what happened? Did you fall in? The little boy said, no, I just put my foot out and I walked into the deep end and I started to sink. Now, clearly, this little five-year-old boy doesn't understand the laws of physics. But how often do we behave the same way? How often do we just walk into things and say yes to things and commit to more and more things, expecting that will flow? And then we're surprised when we find ourselves drowning in our commitments, drowning in over-busy, overstuffed schedules and endless to-do lists. Friends, it's important to build boundaries around your families. And again, I realize this is going to be different for everybody. We've all got different capacities. We've all got different commitments. But unless we're intentional to build boundaries around our families, we will not find this rhythm and rest we were designed to live in. So again, just a few suggestions here to maybe help you with this. A few practical ways you can do this. Number one, learn to unplug. Learn to unplug. I think it goes without saying, right, that one of the greatest threats to our families comes in the unnecessary busyness that accompanies technology. And I'm not asking you to go like full-on Amish here, but I'm just saying like consider, consider what you're building your family around. Consider those rhythms that you're putting your kids into where boundaries need to be put into place. A phenomenal resource on this, if you want to take a picture of this next slide or write down the name of the book, it's called TechWise Family. It's a small little book. You can finish it, honestly, in probably one sitting. But it's got tons of practical ways to make significant changes in your home, in your life, and in your family. So number one was, yeah, learn to unplug. Second, learn to say no. I think it's one especially for the moms out there. <laughs> Y'all need to learn how to say no. In fact, you can tell people your pastor gave you permission to say no. You don't always have to be at everything. You don't always have to answer that after-hours work call, dads. You don't always have to, to respond to that, that urgent text message. 
Now respond at some point. Some of y'all just like, need to respond to text messages, okay? <laughs> but it just doesn't have to be right away. Maybe leave your phone in a drawer at home. Maybe pick a day as a family day and protect it at all costs. Whatever that looks like for you, I'm giving you permission, y'all, to say no. Just promise me you'll say no to the right things. This isn't an excuse to isolate. Right? This is a reason to go deeper into intimacy with your family and with your Savior. That leads me to the third way you can build a boundary around your family as I invite the band back up. That is to learn to live slow. So learn to unplug, learn to say no, and learn to live slow. I realize this one's super countercultural. We want to pack our schedules full. We want our kids to be involved in every single thing. We ourselves don't like to just be sitting at home, but learn to live slow. Buy a board game. <laughs> board games are fun. It doesn't always have to be with screens and with controllers. Right? We, we got along pretty well for a good several hundred years without those things. I think we'll be just fine. Fill your life with things that bring refreshment and replenishment and remember the words of N.T. Wright, that it is only when we slow down that we catch up to God. So set a slower pace for your family because here's the thing, that is the quickest way to becoming the family that God designed you to be. I love how counterintuitive God can be sometimes. Who would think that by slowing our families down, that would be the quickest way to becoming the family that we were designed to be? But isn't that how God works? Right? He created us to live in such a way that when we depend on him, the more we depend on him, the more we become who we were designed to be. And the sooner we learn to depend on him, the sooner we get from where we're at to where he wants us to be. Family, in a world where not much is guaranteed to us, that you can take to the bank. So let me just ask you this morning, what does this look like for you? I can't answer that question for you. Where do you need to slow down your life? Where do you need to build rhythms into what you do with your family? Where do you need to put up boundaries? Maybe say no to some things. How can you rest? Maybe for you that starts right here. As we go back into worship, Hey, if you need to leave so that you can go pursue rest, do it. Just promise me you'll be intentional. Don't use rest as a reason for isolation. Use it as an opportunity to pursue intimacy with your Savior. I promise you, he will honor that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the truth in your word that promises those who trust in you, those whose thoughts are fixed on you, it promises us perfect peace. Lord, I pray that peace this morning over my brothers and my sisters. I pray especially for those who may be realizing this morning just how far that they have wandered from your original design. Would you shower them with your grace? Would you show them your mercy? Would you provide them the perfect peace as they reorient themselves and their families to be exactly who you have created them to be? Oh, Lord, we love you. We pray these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.